Good morning. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, right? Woo! Hey, um, I, I want to just echo what Chris said. If you could, for me, just right now, if you could make sure that you take out the North Point app and open it up and make sure that it's working, that would be great because we got some new hardware. And I know people have sometimes been frustrated because they've not, it's gone slow and that kind of stuff. And so we want as many people on it as we can to just make sure everything is working right and you'll be ready to go for the message. That would be great. Anybody see uh, some stuff on uh, Facebook this week or uh, the newspaper about North Point and uh, paying the debt off? Uh, woohoo! Yeah. Um, if you're if you're here for the first time, we uh, we shared a couple weeks ago that as a church um, uh, we are we have bought the medical debt for all of Clinton County and Langsburg and Grand Ledge and um, and the four eight nine zero six zip code everything that's in collections a little bit less than three point eight million dollars and are paying that off. Um, the, uh, I say that for a couple. Of, I I, I want to tell you that for a couple of reasons. One is make sure that that um, you take advantage of the opportunity to talk to your friends and neighbors about it. Um, if you're not usually on Facebook, you can go to the North Point Facebook page and find it. Uh, you can go to my page and find it and and um, and forward that. Uh, one of the coolest things for me has been this week um, the people in my life that that what we're doing as a church has really, really blessed and encouraged about the power of the church to make a difference. And, um, and so uh, don't miss that. It's not, this is not, a, oh, you guys are doing this. This is us. Uh, this, is, this is what our church is doing and, and uh, being the hands and feet of Jesus. And that's an incredibly cool thing. Um, uh, I, I'm fortunate in that I grew up with a family that was a nuclear family, mom and dad married to each other their whole lives, 61 years before my mom died. My dad was a leader in the church. He was an elder in the church. And so I grew up in a, in a relatively small church, a church that uh, most of the time averaged somewhere between 60 and 150 in attendance, seeing my dad as a leader. He was an elder in the church. An elder is, a, is one of the spiritual uh, overseers for the church, one of the people who are fully invested. And so I had, I had a front seat to see what my dad did and the impact his life had on our church as a whole. It, uh, it was huge to me. I went to, I went to Cincinnati Christian University not to become a pastor, but because I, I really felt like I wanted to be a leader in the church and I wanted to be an elder someday when I got eld or old or whatever. Um, and so, um, when I, when I went to, when I went to, uh, to CCU at, at that point, it was Cincinnati Bible college. Um, and I'm studying ministry stuff, studying scripture. I was a music major doing all that stuff. Um, I traveled for the college often, um, in a lot of different groups, and we would introduce ourselves. And I would typically say, I'm Rick Rubel, I'm from Inglewood, Ohio. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a sophomore or whatever, and, I, and I'm at Cincinnati Bible College because I want to be an elder eventually. That created some interesting conversations and, and was really a kind of a cool thing. And it really was my heart. It, it was my heart to, to lead in a role that I felt like could make a difference. So uh, my sophomore year, I was in a male quartet, 
four guys, and, um, and Deb was our accompanist. Um, Deb uh, didn't really want to play for the group, but the year before, the accompanist had dated all four guys at some point in time during the year. That wasn't a good situation. Um, and so that year, uh, I was a part of this male quartet. Deb was our accompanist, and we sang at this church in, in um, Canton, Ohio. It was a first Christian church. It was a, a very large church. Before there were many mega churches, uh, they ran 1,000, 1,200, 1,500, something like that. And we're singing, and uh, we come to the place that we uh, introduce ourselves, and, and so I say, you know, I'm Rick Rubel, I'm from Inglewood, Ohio, I'm a sophomore, um, and, and I'm studying at Cincinnati Bible College because I want to be an elder. Um, right after that, Deb is over at the grand piano, she stands up and she says, hi, my name is Deb Ellis, I'm from Bellbrook, Ohio, and I want to marry an elder. Um, uh, <laughs> Just so we're clear, at that point in time, we were not dating. Um, uh, it was like, uh, 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 uh. all of that to say this. So we're going to look at a passage of scripture that talks about the eldership. And, and I want to say just right off the bat that the elders in the church are the superheroes. It's not really the staff. It's, it's not me, Chris, Jake, you know, Amy, uh, our, our family life staff. It's the elders because they are the spiritual leaders for the church. And um, I hope that you see that. We're going we're gonna, to um, make some connections and see what that looks like. So um, if, if, you've got your, if you've got the app open, if you've got your Bibles open, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to read through the, the entire chapter of 1 Peter 5. And it's directed really primarily at elders. You'll see that. Let me just say this as a lead as we go into that scripture. Um, that if you're looking at the NIV, if you're looking at what's in the app, there's a word in the Greek that's not there. The word is therefore. Maybe if you're looking at ESV or King James, you'll see that, that word therefore. But therefore is a, a connector to the past. And if you've been around for this series called Holy, Holy, and holy, that God calls us to be holy, holy, entirely holy, sold out to him, living lives that are markedly different from the world, um, and, and, yet, and yet we're holy, we leak, you know, uh, the world leaks into us. Um, if, if you've been there, you know that the, that the two big themes that have kind of come through uh, this study are this idea that we need to submit to, to leadership, we need to submit to people in our lives, and uh, the recognition that we're going to suffer. So Peter says, therefore, because you're going to suffer, therefore, because you're going to uh, suffer and because you need to submit, he says this, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those who entrusted, uh, over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Then he finishes with just some, some final notes in his letter. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So when you read chapter 5, there's this instruction that comes to elders, and it's important for us, I, I want to just take a little bit of time on the front end of this to say, what's it take to be an elder? What's, what does an elder look like? If, um, if the elders are the spiritual leaders, what's that, what's that about? What, how, do you, how do you decide who those people are and what defines them? Um, if, if, you, uh, if you're using paper, Bible, or whatever, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and let me just um, share uh, something that Paul writes to, to his younger minister, Timothy, to talk about. This is, this is how you choose an elder. Here's a trustworthy saying, Paul says. This is 1 Timothy 3. Whoever aspires to be an overseer or an elder desires a noble task. Now the overseer elder is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone doesn't know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. When Paul writes to, to Titus, another fellow minister, he, he echoes in, uh, in Titus chapter 1 many of those same qualifications for what it looks like to be an elder. One thing that he adds that's not in, in uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, he says in verse 9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it's, as it's been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Don't miss this shepherds, leaders, elders, that, that, that word elder means, um, it, it means essentially pastor, not in the vocational sense that we think of, but a, a pastor like a shepherd, somebody who leads and guides. Um, they need to care for those who are entrusted to them, Tim, or Peter says. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, verse 2. Um, so if that's the challenge to elders, uh, the, it's important to, to know who are our elders here at North Point, right? Uh, who, who are the, those guys that serve in that role? Let me, let me just show you real quickly. Um, maybe you've seen them around. Carrie, uh, Bayshore, Jeff Kimmy, myself, Steve Houston, Vic Virtue. Those are the five elders here at North Point. And um, we're going to take a little bit time later, and, and I w- would encourage you to have their names on your prayer list someplace and to pray for them as they help lead and guide the church under, under God's uh, direction. When, when they become elders, they commit to being prayer warriors for the church. They commit to meeting together. We meet together a couple of times each month to talk about what's going on and to, and to, 
to look to God for guidance for where he would have us go as a church. They commit to being the ones to have hard conversations when there are issues within the church. They commit to holding me accountable as, uh, as the leader of the staff. Uh, in the day-to-day stuff. They commit to owning the vision of the church, that it's not, it's not my deal, but it's the eldership, it's the leadership of the church that's there. What's a shepherd do? They lead, feed, take care of the needs, they equip and they protect the flock. Their, their role is to help us as a body grow spiritually now, you may be thinking, oh, this is great. Rick's going to preach to four guys uh, uh, today. The whole rest of the message doesn't apply to me because it's all written to elders, right? Um, let, me, let me take just a little side path for a second and, and, and talk and teach. This is really a teaching message, okay? So um, don't go into college student mode where you just check out, but stay engaged with me, all right? Thank you, Tammy, uh, because when I was teaching in college, sometimes there were those days that the students all went, The, the, the glaze was there. They were there physically, but not connected. So uh, uh, teaching mode, let me, let me just talk about how we understand scripture. This is important, not just about this message, but uh, when you read scripture, it's important to kind of have, the, have these things in place. The first, whenever you read scripture, is to ask, what's the purpose? Who was it written? Who was it written to? And for what purpose was it written? Right? Who's the author? Who's the audience? And, and what's the purpose of what they wrote? So in this case, it was written by Peter. It was written to, to Christians in the first century. And it, was, and it was written specifically to elders because the elders are leading the church in a time of incredible suffering. Um, once you understand the purpose, the, the, who it was written to, uh, why it was written, um, uh, and, who, and who wrote it, um, you have to deal with the principle. What is it exactly that was written about? What's the substance What's the clear meaning of what was written in this particular passage of Scripture? In this particular passage, Peter says to the elders, there are people who have been entrusted to your care. You've got to lead well with the right motivation. You've got to to be the right example because they're going to suffer. And your leadership matters in a very clear and direct way. So whenever you read scripture and you look at the purpose and you look at the principle, what, you know, who it was written to, why it was written, what specifically was written, at that point, once you understand that, you can begin to apply that scripture to your life. And a lot of times, the principle can be applied in multiple areas. And here's where I want to go with today's message. When you ask the question, how does this apply to your life? I'm not an elder. There's only four guys here who are elders. Um, how, how do I apply this to my life? The application of the principle is going is to live in your life in whatever area of leadership you have. It may be that you're a parent. I want you to read chapter 5, thinking about your role as a leader in your home. It may be that you're an employer, that you're a boss at work, and that you've got people who are entrusted to your care at work. Read, read chapter 5 of 1 Peter, thinking about them. It may be that you're a life group leader, or that you work in kids' world, or, uh, or that you have some other area of influence in your life. Read this scripture, thinking about the people that God has placed in your care. Um, here's, here's the heart of, I think, what's in chapter 5. Shepherd leaders have to have the right motivation, 
Peter says, be shepherds um, watching over the people who are entrusted to your care, not because you have to, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest game, gain, but eager to serve. It's kind of funny when he's talking to elders that he says not pursuing dishonest gain, right? Um, you have to know contextually, uh, this is that, that, uh, uh, that understanding scripture uh, concept. What's the context of it? That in the, in the first century, there wasn't a vocational staff like we have now. The elders that taught were um, worthy of double honor. They were paid for their teaching. And so um, Peter says, you know, don't become an elder simply because you get a paycheck out of it. Don't serve for that reason. Don't serve for the glory that comes with that. Um, instead, um, you've got to serve for the right motivation, um, not because you must, but because you're willing. God doesn't want elders who are serving because they feel like they have to, because no one else will, because they're coerced. Somebody twists their arm and says, oh man, you've got to serve. You need to do this. Um, it's, a, it's a privilege for me to be able to tell you about our elders here at North Point. None of them uh, that doesn't describe any of them. They serve because they're willing, because they have a sense of calling from God. You know what? If you're a mom or a dad, if you're an employer, if you're a life group leader, are you leading because you have to or because you want to? That, that's, a, that's a great question. Sometimes we just find ourselves in this position. It's like, oh man, I got to go do this. Are you doing it because you have to or because you want to? Whenever we lead because we have to, those that we lead suffer. Make no mistake about it. If you're in that role simply because you've been placed there, you don't have any sense of calling to it, um, it's going to impact those people that you lead in a negative way. Parents who feel like they're stuck being parents rarely raise healthy kids. Some of, you, some of you know that firsthand because you grew up in, in that kind of environment. Do you have a sense of calling to the people that you're called to lead? Um, God wants you to be willing. Um, if I go back to that, that, uh, that passage in 1 Peter 3, in um, uh, 1 Timothy 3, where Paul says, he who aspires to be an elder aspires to a good thing. There needs to be this sense of calling that we have to the people that we lead. Um, you know what? Uh, maybe you're a life group leader. Maybe you're a parent and you're thinking, you know what? I don't have any sense of calling. I'm, I don't really don't like this at all. Don't miss this. The answer is not to quit serving in that. The answer is to ask God to change your heart. To take a step back and rethink, why am I here in this first place? I think that there's nothing more beautiful than a parent who goes away for a little bit and comes back re-energized at investing in the lives of their kids. That they're no longer just trying to survive those years, those teen years, those, those times when the, you know, when the child's not sleeping through the night. They're not just trying to survive, but they're thinking, oh man, I have an opportunity to impact this child for eternity. I have a chance to teach them. And they come back with this fresh sense of vision and fresh sense of calling. 
Um, you know, uh, if, if you're feeling like, ah, I'm not sure that this is what I'm supposed to do, uh, recognize you can't stop being a parent, all right? That's not allowed. Uh, you, you can't do that. You, you can stop being a life group leader, you, um, but recognize that if you do, the people in your life group may be left out hanging to dry spiritually because you have been leading them. Um, you can stop leading at work, but recognize that there'll be a cost for that. It may impact what you get paid. It may impact your position. It may impact the influence that you have. Um, you, can, you can stop leading. That's not really the right answer. The right answer is to have a sense of calling to what you do. Um, the, uh, on Monday and Tuesday of this week, our pastoral staff had a, had a two-day retreat where we just kind of looked at some big picture stuff. And one of the things that we talked about early on was our values as a staff. What, what is it that makes our staff our staff? Um, and, and one of the ways that I couched that question was to say, if we were going to add somebody on staff, what, what's a piece that would either qualify them or disqualify them to be a fit with us? You know what the, the number one thing the staff said? It was passion and calling to their role. Within our staff, there's this sense of clarity for us. You know what? God has called us here for a purpose. We want to accomplish what God has called us to do as a church. And that's something that we value very highly. Shepherds leaders have the right motivation for serving. Shepherd leaders, and not only that, they lead by example, not by positional authority. Uh, Peter says, be shepherd of God's flock, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You want to be a good leader? You want to be a good leader at home? Want to be a good leader at work? Want to be a good leader uh, in your life group? Whatever, lead by example. Um, you know, the, there are two different kinds of, of, of authority, right? There's positional authority and there's recognized authority. I remember when I was in college uh, and, and I was going to become a part of a group um, and I had been in a, in a place that I had a lot of influence, that I was a leader within a larger group and, um, and I was being put in this smaller group and I was being put into a positional uh, authority. I, I was going to be the person in charge of the group. And frankly, it scared me a lot. It was a lot, uh, it felt to me like a lot safer to have influence rather than the position, because the, position, the positional power is the person that, that wields the stick, right? They're the one who can discipline. They're the one who can, um, uh, who, who uh, they're accountable for what happens within the group. Um, but the recognized authority, that allows you to get stuff done. Positional power, a lot of times, in order for something to be accomplished, it takes a lot longer because it's top-down, and you're, even though you're telling people what to do and that it needs to be done, everyone may not be all on board, and you have, to, you have to communicate, this is what we're doing, even if you don't like it, this is what we're doing. When you're in a place of re- relational influence, relational power, man, you can look at somebody and say, hey, this is what I think we should do, and they say, I'm with you. I will follow you. I will go where you want me to go. Um, the, 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 the influential power, the, position, the, not the relational power that's there, when we don't follow through, what's at risk? It's a broken relationship with someone that we love. I was, I was thinking about this in relationship to, to Jesus and Peter. Peter, uh, G, Jesus had, he had some positional power as the rabbi for the 12. He was, he was the teacher and they were the disciples. 
but he had so much influential uh, power with those guys that when Peter denied Jesus, Jesus didn't have to call Peter on the carpet and say, Peter, what, what were you thinking? You know, you know you, why did you deny me? All it took was for, for Jesus and Peter to lock eyes. And the, and the brokenness of Peter became real because he realized that the, all that Jesus had, had poured into him, he had denied. He had let him down. It's not that he had just disobeyed an order. That relational influence had been broken with him. Your example will communicate more about what you value than anything that you say. At home, at work, as a coach in the community, your example will communicate more than anything that you say. It'll communicate whether you have integrity or not. Understand that if you want to lead at home, you can't say, you can't say, oh, when somebody calls, you can't say, oh, tell them I'm not here when you're there. Your example communicates so many things. You can't teach your children the importance of corporate worship, of being connected to the body of Christ, and spend every weekend at the cottage or on the snowmobiles or wherever uh, following the travel team. Because what you say doesn't match the way that you live. You can't, you can't say that you trust God with your finances and not give and not put your finances into God's hands. You, you, you can't. You've got to lead by example. Your authority depends on living out what you say you believe. On walking the walk and not just talking the talk. Um, I, I served at a church once with uh, many, of the, many of the people who were on staff were people who came out of the marketplace. It was, it was kind of a cool environment. Um, there were less people who were trained in a seminary than people who came out of the marketplace onto the staff. One of the guys that I served with was a uh, lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps, uh, retired. And, um, and I remember one of the conversations that I had with Dave, and he said, the greatest compliment I've ever gotten was from my men that said, I will follow you into battle anywhere you go. Why did they say that? Because Dave's example as a leader made him worth following. They didn't say, interestingly enough, I'll go where you order me to go. They said, I'll follow you, because they knew that Dave would be out front leading as, as they took a hill. Um, Shepherds leaders lead by example, not by positional authority. And, uh, and then, there, then there's a kind of an interesting thing that, that happens in chapter 5. Uh, Peter goes on to say, uh, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. Submit to your elders. Submit to your elders. Trust them. Follow them. Seek out their wisdom. It's kind of interesting when you look at this and when, when you're looking and thinking, okay, who did Peter write to? Why did he write it? What was going on? Um, there's there's uh, a lot that's been written. Okay, does... Peter shift at this point from talking about the position of elder within the church uh, to just talking about people who are older than you. And frankly, uh, throughout history, lots of people in the church 
have used this uh, verse as a weapon because they felt like it said, oh, you know what, I'm two years older than you, so you need to uh, submit to your elders, right? Um, uh, my sisters said that to me often when I was growing up. Um, I, I don't think that's really what, that, what this means. I think contextually, he's still talking to the church to say, recognize this, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. And, the, and your elders are going to lead you through that suffering. And so you need to submit to them. You need to follow them. You need to trust that God's going to work through them. Um, uh, that in, in, in those themes that are there throughout the book of 1 Peter, those themes of submission and suffering, um, it, Peter, Peter really says, look, if you're a sheep, don't try and be a shepherd, Right? If God hasn't put you in that role, you need, to, you need to follow those that he has put in that role. Does that mean that you can't disagree with the elders, that you can't express your thoughts and concerns to the elders? Not at all. Not at all. Does it mean that if you don't like what the eldership is doing, that you should stop giving to express your displeasure? No. I've been in a church where that happened. Um, not, not at all. It does mean that you need to follow the leadership of the people that God puts in place in your life, in the church, the elders, that you recognize that their role is to lead and feed, to take care of the needs, to protect the flock, to encourage you, to help you grow spiritually. The writer of Hebrews said, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Peter goes on and he says, here's the deal. Shepherd leaders and followers, every, all of us need to practice humility. Verse, the end of uh, verse 5 says, all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Uh, a book that's been out for probably 20 years is, uh, by Jim Collins called Built to Last is a study that Collins and his organization did of 1,400 companies in the U.S. Uh, to, to try and figure out which companies went from being good to being great. Um, out of those 1,400 companies that they did the study of, there were 11 that they identified that had become great companies that would last through generations. And, and the book goes on to describe all the pieces of that. One of the things that I think was uh, very, very interesting in, in, that, in that book, in Good Great, is that uh, all 11 of those businesses, those companies, had what Collins called level five leaders. They were ordinary guys, ordinary, ordinary women that produced extraordinary results. Humility characterized their leadership. They were so sold out to the mission that they didn't care who got the credit. That's humility, right? We need to live in our homes with humility. We need to live in the church with humility. We need to live in the community with humility. Sold out to what God has called us to do and not caring about who gets the credit. If you're an elder, be humble. If you're following the elders, be humble. If you're a parent, be humble. 
If you're a child, be humble. If you're the boss, be humble. If you're an employee, be humble. If you're experiencing worldly success, clothe yourselves with humility, Peter says. If you're working in the mailroom of a struggling business, clothe yourself with humility. I mentioned last week that humility was not a virtue in the Greco-Roman world. It was seen as a weakness. But Peter says, clothe yourselves with humility. What's it mean to be humble? What's that look like? It's to honor people before yourself. It's to not care who gets the credit. It's to think of people before you think of your own needs. To recognize that success in any area is the result of of so many people and not just you. Uh, Y'all know I'm a football fan. Um, I I told you last week I I played on the offensive line when I played football. Um, I love it when they interview the quarterback or the running back who's just gone crazy and, and they say, you know what, it's not me, it's my offensive line. My offensive line is who opened the holes and made it possible for me to run. I couldn't have done it without them. That's humility. That's not caring about who gets the credit. It's thinking of other people first. Shepherds, leaders, and followers practice humility. That's a challenge for us. Um, and, and, and then Peter says, trust God when you submit. Um, trust God to take care of yourself when you're submitting to others, especially um, those that you think might not be in doing a great job. Peter says, Look, submit to those leaders. And then he says something really interesting. He says, cast all your, all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Um, you know, uh, why, did, why did Peter write that? That's a scripture that we often apply to mental health stuff. You know, you're struggling, you're anxious. Oh, go to First Peter chapter 5. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. That's true, but let's go back to that slide that talked about purpose. Who, uh, scripture, when you're understanding scripture, who was it written to? Why was it written? What's the principle? What's, the, what's it teach specifically? And then how do you apply it to your life? When you look at this verse in context of this scripture, It makes perfect sense. It's a scary thing to submit to leaders that you don't think are doing a good job, right? It's a a counterculture kind of thing. It's markedly different from the rest of the world. To submit to leadership. And Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him. He cares for you. When you think, I don't know, I don't know if I, can, if I can trust them. I don't know if I can follow them. Hear the words of Peter. Cast all your anxiety on him. He cares for you. God wants to teach us something so powerful when we submit. And he recognized, Peter recognized that it was scary. It was especially scary for these Christians in the first century church who were facing suffering. You know, if, if they submitted to the, to the eldership and they ended up on one of those poles in Nero's garden, how were they going to deal with that? If they ended up in the Colosseum, how were they going to deal with that? Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, when you understand why it was written and you, and you understand that that's powerful in our lives, that doesn't mean that you can't apply the principle that's there in the mental health area of your life. You know, if you're struggling in in the mental health area, if you're struggling with depression, if you're struggling with anxiety, 
You can't cast that on Jesus. Give it to God. He cares for you and he will take care of you. Don't miss that. Just, just understand that that's not the primary purpose for why that was written in this passage. Uh, verse 8. Uh, shepherd leaders sleep with one eye open. I love, I love this uh, concept. Uh, Peter says, be alert and of sober mind. Verse 8. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of suffering. The same kind of sufferings. Uh, Peter says, look, there's a battle going on around you. And you've got to be aware of it. You can't be oblivious to it. Um, I, when, I, when I was unpacking this scripture and, and looking at it, I, I did a little research about lions and how they uh, seek their prey. Interestingly enough, lions will watch their prey oftentimes during the daylight, but they attack at night. If your life is going swimmingly, if you're thinking, oh, you know what? God is blessing. This is such a good time in life. Understand that Satan is sitting on the sideline in, sitting on the, sideline in the light, watching exactly what's going on and waiting to pounce. Lions attack at night when it's under the cover of darkness. And when they attack, typically what they do is that if it's a smaller animal, they'll smack their backside with their paw as they're chasing them. They'll knock them off their stride. They'll, they'll make them roll to the ground. And they'll just smack them and smack them and smack them until ultimately they put their, neck on, or they put their mouth on the neck of their prey, break their neck, and, and, then, um, and then eat them. Satan works in the same way. <laughs> Do you ever feel like you've been smacked around as you're, as you're walking through life? That you're just spinning out of control? Peter says, look, um, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for somebody to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. You're not alone in Satan attacks on your life. Don't feel like you're isolated. Don't feel like you're an island all by yourself. You're not alone. The greatest safety, the, the greatest threat to your spiritual health is to believe that you've got it all under control and that Satan's not real. The greatest threat is to think, particularly at this time of year, that Satan, yeah, he's there. He's this little figure in a red suit with horns. And, a, you know, a, a, he's got the, the, whatever that, pitchfork. Um, and, and that he's this comical figure. Peter says, look, the stakes are incredibly high. There's a spiritual battle going on. Satan is real. He's your enemy. And he wants to destroy you. Um, I'm, re I'm reading a book right now called The Gift of Fear by Gavin De Becker. Um, it, it's a very interesting book. Its premise is that, um, that, that when stuff happens to us in life, that we say, that we say oh, I, I, I didn't realize it at all. That, that when we have this fear that just jumps out of nowhere, it's because there have been all of these indicators that have happened prior to that time. Things that we weren't conscious of, that, that all of a sudden come together and, and all these warning lights go off. Here's my encouragement to you. It's easy for us um, to be at a place where spiritually we fall 
because we haven't paid attention to any of the indicators that come that say um, that, 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 that we're struggling. Um, so let me encourage you, notice Notice the little things, the little warning signs. Notice when you begin to care more about stuff than you do about people. Notice when you start thinking about all that you have and all that you are, that that has come because you're so great. Notice, notice when that man or woman is flirting with you and you like it. Notice it. Notice when your love for God cools and begins to come, become lukewarm. You're not alone in the attacks that are being launched by the enemy. Others experience the same thing. They're fighting the same fight. Don't leave the body. Don't leave the body where you're easy prey, isolated for the lion. Peter goes on and says, shepherd leaders can anticipate the future. Shepherds uh, have a reward that's coming. Verse 10, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power, and the power forever and ever, amen. Peter says, look, here's the deal. Yeah, you're gonna suffer, but it's just gonna be for a little while. Think about your perspective. We talked about that that last week in the message on suffering. You are going to be restored. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. After you've suffered for a little while, he's going to restore you himself and make you strong and firm and steadfast. What do you do with today's message? I I said it's kind of a teaching message uh, through this passage. Um, let me, let me just give you four things. No matter where you are, the, f- the first thing is this. The first action step is to pray for our elders. Pray for your life group leader. Pray for parents that are in your life. Pray for um, leaders at work. Pr- pray for those people that God has put in place that you can submit, follow them well, and that you can honor God in that relationship. Second thing is live a life that's markedly different from the world. That when you live out 1 Peter chapter 5, it is being holy, holy. It's being entirely different from the rest of the world. It's being who God has called us to be. Aspire to live a life worthy of an elder. Dive into that 1 Peter 3, Titus 1. Because that mark of, of a spiritual leader for a church, it really is like, here's the example of what you want to be, of what you want your life to look like in your relationship with Jesus. Aspire to that. Live to that standard. Lead well wherever God has placed you. Man, if you're a mom, if you're a dad, lead well at home. Not because you have to, but because you want to. If you're a leader at work, if you're a leader in the community, if you're a leader in whatever, in whatever aspect of your life you, that may be, lead well. And the last thing is this, be alert. Don't be oblivious to the attacks of Satan, the plans of Satan to take you down spiritually. Too much is at stake. Too much is at stake. We can't pretend like we live in a world without lions, that Satan's some mythical figure that, that is not ever going to mess with us. He wants to take us down, and we've got to be alert. Let, let, let me pray for us.